This week on The Clubhouse, Anthony and I are confined to our rental car. When we last left you, Anthony had just made his first visit inside Comerica Park. If you haven't gotten a chance to give that episode a listen, I recommend that you go back and follow us as we started in Cooperstown, made our way to Toronto, Detroit, and now we head to Cleveland. This episode begins with a discussion of how much Detroit has changed over the years and Anthony's thoughts on the Tigers' home ballpark. Blue Jays win it! Touch them all, Joe! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life! Down there! 20 strikeouts! He ties the Major League record! There it goes! See ya! I don't believe what I just saw! And he's out by five feet at the plate! And that was the worst base running in the history! We are currently barreling down the road of I-80 East. It is nighttime here for the Clubhouse podcast. I believe this is our first nighttime drive, actually. I think most of our drives have been under the sun. And for the first time, Mr. Anthony Rapp is behind the wheel of the car, and I'm sitting in the passenger seat. He relinquished the (laughs) wheel, finally. I did relinquish the wheel, finally. Mainly because I'm just so sad that I'm leaving my beloved Detroit behind me. But I'm excited because I'm, we're, ex- we're heading to Progressive Field in Cleveland, which I legitimately had a very, very, very good time at. The last time I was here, the Indians put on a heck of a show, and the fans were incredibly nice to me. And I just, I really, really like Progressive Field, and I'm excited to hear Anthony's thoughts on that. But that's, that's for tomorrow. For today... I just want to hear some of uh, Mr. Anthony Rapp's ideas and, and uh, feelings and just reactions to his day in Detroit. So let's just start with the ballpark itself. We, we touched on it a little bit while we were sitting there, but now that you've had some time to think, uh, just what are your overall pros and cons? What did you like? What, you didn't, what didn't you like about Comerica Park? Um, I like the, the whole thing pretty much like the only thing i said was about the out-of-town scoreboard and that was a minor thing um that was a really nice park it was, we had great seats of course but the the presence of so so many um detroit tigers clad gear gear detroit tigers gear clad fans was um really impressive of course there, the the gentleman sitting in front of us uh, he he made I heard I overheard him talk about the Cubs coming to Detroit, so I was like, "Oh, are you gonna go?" And he's like, "It's like oh, I don't know." And he's then he made some quip about the Cubs not being very good, and you know he's like, "Maybe when they have maybe when they get the playoffs again, to make sure that nobody's coming in the ballpark named Bartman." Well, you know, you know it, it, so this is one of those things that um, you know I learn whenever I bring folks who didn't grow up in Michigan. Uh, not even specifically just Detroit, but Michigan, you know, there are a lot of fans in in Michigan that are AL-only fans, basically, that really, they know the AL better than anybody else, but they don't really focus on the NL. It's kind of an old-school way of thinking, where it's, that's the old National League over there, we'll focus on them in October, 
the, you know, 162, it's all about the American League. So there really is, you know, I, I, I've gone to games with a lot of friends of mine from, from Michigan since leaving and becoming myself more of a baseball fan. I mean, I'll, I'll admit it, when I was a kid, I was absolutely more of an AL fan. I rarely followed a lot of NL teams aside from the Cubs just because of our proximity. But for the most part, I didn't really follow a lot of National League teams when I was a very young kid. And um, yeah, so that was kind of a, a unique experience, I think, for, for Anthony there to see someone who seemed like a very, very big baseball fan, which this gentleman was. Throughout the game, he was very involved in the game, and he was making some very funny, witty comments about some of our uh, players out there. And he, he seemed to know what he was talking about, but yeah, as soon as you brought up the Cubs, he didn't really even know how they were doing. He didn't know that they were playing well this year, and you were pretty surprised by that. I was surprised by that. In fact, they had the same as of today, and I think it still is the case. I, I believe that as of our you know current recording date, the the Tigers and the Cubs have the identical records of like I think it's five games over five hundred. Yeah, they're, they're they're pretty close to one another. Obviously, when you will be listening to this, well, who knows? Maybe the Tigers and the Cubs still have the same record, and we're both fifteen games over five hundred, which would be a lovely, lovely thing to happen. But regardless, the Tigers are certainly perceived far and wide as a good team. People, I think, who are paying attention to baseball these days are certainly paying attention to the Cubs as being an on-the-rise team and a pretty good team. I mean, if you if you do things like read the power rankings on various websites, the Cubs have been in the top 10, and, you know, that's not nothing is all I'm saying. I, no, you're absolutely right. And, and so, I well, yeah, I was surprised that somebody wasn't, like, aware of that. But, you know, but here I am who I do follow all of baseball pretty pretty closely, and I'm pretty aware of all the things, all the dynamics are going on. I mean, it's the reason that Munish and I met in the first place was that I saw – his Tigers hat, and at the time last year when we met at a party, um, I saw the Tigers hat, and I knew that the Tigers were going through a weird moment, and uh, I asked him about it. So that was like the the gateway to our conversation. But so you know, even though I'm a Cubs fan first, I'm as much as anything else a baseball fan, and I'm pretty much aware of the various dynamics going on in the league at any given time. Well, to be honest with you, you know, it's one of those things that I kind of do like about baseball fans in general is that. So we're here. We are. So now the, the game that we went to it ended up being, you know, there was some threat of rain, and there was a little bit of a sprinkling uh, throughout. But it was an absolutely fantastic crowd. I actually didn't end up getting to hear the announced attendance, but it was pretty close to a sellout. It was it was absolutely packed there with a lot of standing room only folk uh, uh, staying till the very, 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 very end of the game. And what I like about it is when you've got let's just call it 35, 40,000 people in in the park there, you're gonna have different levels of baseball fandom. And you're going to have different levels of, of different interests, basically. And so for, for Anthony and I, we are kind of on one end of the spectrum where while we are Cubs fans and Tigers fans, respectively, I think, I believe, I would consider myself to be a baseball fan first. I'm not sure if, if you would consider yourself to be a baseball fan first, but I... Well, yeah, I mean, in the sense that when the Cubs are not in the playoffs, which they haven't been for many, quite, well, not many, but several years now, I'm still deeply interested in what's going on in the playoffs, and I watch it, and I'm... Well, it's not just you know, that, though. It's not just the playoffs. It's one thing that, you know, Anthony and I... That's a perfect... That's a good example, though. I mean, I think that if you're only a fan of your team, if your team doesn't make the playoffs, then you stop paying attention to whatsoever, you know. Absolutely. Time. But in addition to that, and this is something that, that I did say to Anthony off-air one night, but I, I will say it on the air so it's on the record, I did tell him uh, that he is the baseball friend that I've been looking for my entire life because he and I are very similar in the sense that we both will follow all 30 teams. Just, you know, regardless of whether our teams are playing or not, I noticed throughout the day, throughout the night, whenever he and I are hanging out, 
we are also checking in to see what is happening in pretty much every single other game. Even if we don't follow them religiously, we may not know every single thing about every single player and every single team. Throughout the season, that we would are, be really hard. That would be really hard. But throughout the season, we are highly aware of, you know, once again, I don't want to get too specific about games that were being played today, just because this is gonna, you guys are gonna be hearing this a couple weeks from now. But for instance, in the first inning of a Dodgers game today, a Dodgers uh, um, Padres game, you know, Justin Upton scoring six RBIs, and that's something that during the game, Anthony and I will be discussing, or or we'll be discussing other games while we're watching the games that involve the Cubs and the Tigers. So I think, once again, though, it is just different levels of baseball fans, and they're all welcome. I think that you don't need to be on the spectrum that 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 Anthony and I on, you know, at, at that one end of it. All fans are welcome inside of the ballpark. You know, there's a lot of folks there that may not even know much about baseball in general, but they're just sitting there and enjoying the nice weather and they're enjoying the camaraderie and they're enjoying just the atmosphere, which I think is really great at Detroit, even in a game like today, which for a lot of the game, the Tigers were making some silly mistakes and there were, it was just not a great game for, for the home team yet. The crowd stayed till the bitter end, despite the rain, despite the well, loss. The rain was yeah, yeah. The rain, yeah, yeah. The, the rain wasn't, I should, yeah, I should, I should clarify. The rain, <laughs> like, there was not a downpour of any sort. Like, it was. Oh, hi, I'm a rainfall. Not really. <laughs> but so, um, is there anything about Detroit that surprised you? About, about the stadium that surprised you? About the stadium? Yeah, that yeah. surprised me? Yeah. Once again, I always, because there were things when I went on my tour, there were things in each little park that I just didn't really think about. And were there just, as far as, well, you know, you mentioned when we were in the, uh, uh, the team store. Well, the team store was, I think, the most packed team store we've been in. I think we've set foot in, well, I don't know if we, yeah, we, we, no, we, we did set foot in the Nationals team store. Yeah, but I can't imagine that. The, no, we didn't set foot in the Orioles team store either. We only set foot in the Toronto I've... Blue Jays team store. Yeah. Okay, we well. Walked, we spent so much time walking around Camden Yards with the beautiful concourse and had the delicious crab food. <laughs> but um, the, yeah, today was, I don't imagine I'll ever be in a, in a, in a Jersey selling team store that's as packed as this one was. I mean, and literally, every, I think all, like I would say 95% minimum of the people in that park had more than just a hat. I mean, they were wearing, they were decked out. Yep, there are jerseys, there are shirts, there's jackets, there's, yeah, like I said, D Detroit is, a, this is something that I say all the time, it's why I started a sports magazine in Detroit, it's why I love Detroit. In Detroit, you wake up, you go to work, you come home from work, you have, you have dinner with your family, it's 7 o'clock, what else you got to do? You turn on the game. 365 days a year, there's always a game that's got to be on somewhere, and, you know, we met, we, um, after the game, we met up with uh, one of Anthony's buddies, uh, Jay, and he lives uh, over uh, across the border there, but he comes into Detroit quite often, and he was telling us a beautiful story about why he's a baseball fan, and, and I agree with him a thousand percent, and it's because he said that, you know, he would see Detroit, and he would see the struggles that Detroit has gone through over the years, yet despite people fleeing from downtown and no longer living in downtown and really avoiding downtown, on game days, Detroit is alive. On game day, people from all over are coming down and supporting and spending money in those local businesses and cheering on that Detroit team. 
And he was just, he said he was moved by what baseball can do and how baseball can bring a city together. And I could not agree with Jay Moore. He, he hit the nail completely on the head. And that is Detroit. There is so much of a community aspect around baseball. And when you walk around the city, you want to represent your team. You know, if we would have gotten a chance to actually spend a little bit more time in the city and even in some of the suburbs, you would see that so many houses have Tigers flags flying, cars have Tigers flags on their cars, they've got decals. It's just that old English D is burned into this city's identity. And I thought that was definitely impressive. Now, after the game, um, despite the loss, I really wanted to show Anthony a little bit of the city. And he ended up hanging out with a, with a buddy of his. And, and after we met back up. You, met, you mentioned the buddy, Jay. Yeah, yep, yeah. my buddy here was Jay. Yes, we, we hung out with Jay. All right. He took me to a cool little spot. It's like a, um, it's like a, ca like a you know, gastropub with a bowling alley in it. But they had a very delicious vegetarian sandwich, which I enjoyed tremendously. And, you know, I got to say, I have not lived in, in, in Detroit in about seven years now. And so it, it is... It has changed tremendously uh, since my time here, uh, and it is absolutely getting better. I know it's easy for people to to really hammer it, and it's it's, a, it's an easy punchline. But Detroit is getting so so much better, and I was really proud to be able to show Anthony. Uh, we've got the Joe Louis Fist down there in downtown, and and my absolute favorite part of Detroit, outside of Comerica Park, obviously, is the spirit of Detroit, which. We'll have a picture of it uh, on the website at the Clubhouse Podcast of, of me and Anthony posing there in front of the Spirit of Detroit. It is just a wonderful statue that during the uh, – anytime a Detroit team is doing well in the season and, and making it to the playoffs, the Spirit of Detroit, which is a massive statue, will don a Tigers jersey or a Red Wings jersey or a Pistons jersey or a Lions jersey. The way you said it made it sound like the Spirit of Detroit statue comes to life and actually – puts the jersey on itself. I do believe it does, actually. I believe that it's a magical statue that in, in the night it, it goes and it, it sews it itself. It makes its jersey itself, and, and it puts it on its back, and it carries the city of Detroit to a championship. But one of the reasons why I love it is because it really does signify that every single person in that city cares about its community and cares about its sports teams very few cities are that connected to their sports franchises. You know, we were talking about, you know, if you're in New York and the Yankees are in the playoffs, the Mets are in the playoffs, you know, I don't know. I, I, I guarantee you, if you're in Chicago and the Cubs are in the playoffs, you will feel it. I guarantee you. I agree with that 100%, but you are in that unique situation of having the split White Sox, Cubs, the double team where I feel like when I'm talking about it, this is one of the reasons it's unique to, to Detroit is that in places like Chicago or LA or New York or city, places that have multiple teams, this is a singular vision. So even if yes, the, there will be a, a, a lot of Cubs fans that will be losing their minds and celebrating Chicago, you will have Chicago fans there who are White Sox fans who may not be as excited about what is happening. Would I be correct in saying that? Yeah. There would be some White Sox fans who would probably be angry. And so what I'm saying is, so this is not a, once again, when I say this about Detroit, by the way, this is in no way, shape, or form speaking ill of the 29 other franchises. I think that most other cities are fantastic when it comes to supporting their franchises. 
I'm just saying that it, what, the thing about Detroit. I'm not sure Tampa Bay is. The that's why I said most. That's why I said most. There are a couple that could do a little bit of a better job, but I honestly think, like I said, with Detroit, it is it is so ingrained in our culture, and it is such a part of our identity and who we are, and the pride of that city, that I do believe that is something that is relatively unique within the country. So. Just for my, uh, uh, just to make me a little bit happy, we did talk about it a little bit off the air, but could you just talk a little bit about how you, uh, you had been to Detroit a couple of times before uh, for a couple of different shows, for your good man, Charlie Brown, and for, of course, Rent. And so you'd been able to spend very short periods of time here in, uh, in the winter, basically. So just from the, from the time you came from, from now, Kind of your feelings on how and what Detroit is becoming. Well, from what I, I mean, the part of it was being in the winter, so it was pretty cold and desolate, um, and you know, so that was a big difference. Today it was a really beautiful. It was it's you know we're doing this in the end of May, but it felt like a summer day. Um, there were yeah there was a there was life on the streets today, and I and there was a lot more. I, it seemed to me newer buildings than what I had seen before, um, and more little cafes and you know it's felt like there's been some real revitalization of the downtown there's a great music festival happening today and so there were you know quite a few people still hanging out downtown even after the game was over great music being played everywhere and and folks just walking around the street and you know i certainly feel like detroit still has a long way to go but um before it really starts to feel even more alive but i i absolutely saw a big step forward from from when I was there, the last time I was there was six years ago. And the time before that was, uh, I guess, what, uh, 10 years before that? So, yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen some changes for sure, for the better. And honestly, that's all that I've been I've been preaching for, for years here is patience, is that it's my father growing up, his favorite line to, to my sister and I was always, patience is a virtue. Patience is a virtue. That's that he would tell me that on a daily basis because I'm I am the type of gentleman who enjoys his immediate gratification. And when it comes to Detroit, though, I I I believe in my father. Patience is absolutely a virtue, and we all have to be patient. And I think that you know it took New York 10, 15 years to clean itself up, if not longer. You know, when you look at New York in the 80s versus New York now, it's night and day. And I'm not saying that Detroit's ever going to become Manhattan. It's probably not. But it can certainly come back to being the Detroit that once was. We had to keep ourselves busy while we drove from ballpark to ballpark. Sometimes the internet connection would get spotty, leaving us with no live baseball to stream. So as the night wore on, Anthony and I got into a spirited discussion over the best baseball movies of all time. Let us know what your favorite baseball movies are by tweeting us at clubhousepod or at our email address clubhousepodcast at gmail.com. Now we are headed to Cleveland and I thought we'd have a little bit of fun here and we would talk about our favorite baseball movies. So I have found a list from Baseball America. This is Baseball America's top 10 list. This is not my top 10 list for Anthony. This is Baseball America's. And we're going to go through these one by one and see if we've seen them and what we think of them. So number 10 on the list is Major League. Have you seen Major League, Anthony? 
I honestly don't remember if I've seen the whole film. It's like one of those films that I feel like I've seen scenes from it and clips from it, maybe the whole thing, but I don't know. You don't remember, or maybe you do remember. So obviously Charlie Sheen starring. Yeah, I mean, I remember. I know what it is. Right. You got the and wild I've thing. I've certainly seen things. I've certainly seen moments of it, but I do not believe I saw it beginning to end. Well, then that is a movie that we are going to have to add to our list of movies to watch because Major League is an absolutely hysterical movie. Now, I have not looked at this top 10 list, so I don't know what they have in front of them, but to have Major League at number 10 is pretty... Uh, uh, I, I'm not sure if I agree with that. I feel like it should be a little bit higher on the list because Major League is an endlessly rewatchable movie. In my opinion, the best Charlie Sheen has ever been in his entire life. That's damning with faint praise, but okay. I'm not sure. What do you put above it? No, I'm just saying, damning with faint praise, meaning... Oh, I see what you're saying. Consider the source. I understand. I understand. I understand. But all right, fine. And this, then here we go on the next number nine. I don't think... I think we've talked about this. I don't believe you've seen this. Number nine is The Sandlot. I've not seen that. that. The Sandlot, to me, is a fascinating film because it came out in 1993. I was but a young lad. I was, I was 10 years old. So it was right in my wheelhouse. You know, The Sandlot, I wore out the old VHS of The Sandlot. My sister... Tell the younger folks what a VHS is. A VHS... Oh, come on now. A VHS just tape. Just kidding. Kidding. Tape? What's Google tape? it. Tape is something you use to put a package together. Uh, what? I said it's a Betamax. Um, but, you know, it's The Sandlot was a movie that I was actually able to watch with my older sister because Benny the Jet Rodriguez was a very attractive young lad to my sister. And so she wouldn't mind if we had to watch The Sandlot over and over again, despite her not having that much interest in baseball. So The Sandlot was a good movie for kids, and I think uh, people of a certain generation really revere it as one of the best movies of all time. But I feel like you know you had to kind of come out or watch it when you were a kid. Number eight on the list, A League of Their Own. I saw that movie. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Enjoyed it. Yeah, I didn't love it. I enjoyed it. You didn't love it, but you enjoyed it. Did you know much about the All-American Girl League before you'd seen the movie? I did not. Did seeing the movie inspire you in any way, shape, or form to look into the All-American Girl League? These were in the days before the interwebs when I saw this film. So it, the, that, that sort of thing, yeah, I did not find myself going down to the local library and looking up information on uh, the All-American. How is this for young people? Did you not go and check out the Dewey Decimal System at your local library to try and find some, some reference books? Yeah, did not do this. I did not do those things. I, yeah, here's the thing. I think that, I mean, maybe I would feel differently. That movie was entertaining. There were pretty good performances in it. It's just a little bit, you know, it's a little bit sort of tried and true and not cinematically that interesting to me. So, sure. You know, so, yeah, it's a fine, sweet, fun movie. I love Gina Davis in it, though. I love yeah, Gina. Davis great in it. Yeah. I, we will say here's a little bit of Clubhouse Podcast trivia. Our first guest on the Clubhouse Podcast, Mr. Joey Slotnick, A League of Their Own, was his first film. That's awesome. Yes. So he's actually been in a baseball movie, which I am very jealous of. Number six. Wait, ten, ten nine, eight, seven. Number seven. I cannot count, folks. I need to put numbers on here. The Natural, released in 1984. No, I saw that film when it came out, and I was pretty young, but I did, I do remember loving it at the time, but I have not seen it since, um, so I couldn't tell you as an adult with a little more, you know, discerning viewpoint about what films can and should or could be, but I remember it being, you know, there was, it was kind of like beautiful and, 
you know, there was a, it was emotional, it was epic. That's what I, that, I have this memory of the sort of generally stirring experience. I do believe The Natural is a, is a movie that can hit you one of two ways. It can either be a movie that, you know, it's, if you watch it when you're a kid, I think it can really show you the, the beauty and the, and, the, and the inspiration of baseball. But if you watch a little bit when you're a little bit older, it may look a little hackneyed and hitting you over the head with some themes. But, I mean, that, that lasting image is one of those that, that has kind of burned in many baseball fans' memories of the, of the lights. The ball going in the lights? Yes, yeah. so the ball is going in the lights. That's one of those that, that if you're a baseball fan of any kind, even if you haven't seen the movie, it's, been, it's referenced so much in video packages and highlight reels that you've seen it thousands of times. Also, the book is better. Number six on the list, the original version of this film, released in 1976, The Bad News Bears. Well, I mean, I saw that film also at, at that time when I was very young, and probably maybe even on TV since then, because, um, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, there were those kinds of films would be shown on TV a lot um, before. This is before cable, folks. <laughs> we are really just showing our age in this, in this episode. Well, my age, not yours, mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I love that film then. Uh, you know, it's again, it's not anything I've seen since then, so I couldn't tell you, but I have a feeling I would like it now. Just knowing what I know about the cast and the director and the sort of feel of it, it just feels like something that I would also still very much enjoy. Well, all I know is that I also watched that movie when I was a young lad, and it was a movie that I don't believe my parents were fully aware of the because uh, the kids curse at it and stuff they do and it was one of those movies that i felt like i was getting away with something by watching that movie and so in addition to being such a great baseball movie it's kind of one of those films that i have a, a very fond recollection of nostalgic recollection of and also because a very young tatum o'neill made yeah. me feel very very good about myself she, she made you feel good about yourself I just loved her. I'm trying to keep it PG. But I don't make, uh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say something else and I yeah, stopped myself midway through. Making you feel good about yourself is a little different than making you, yourself know. feel good. Yes, yes, That's but I, I, yes it is. But I decided to, to keep it PG, which I still feel like we're keeping it PG. We're all adults. We're all adults here. Number five on the list, the 1942 classic, The Pride of the Yankees, that neither Anthony nor I have seen. This is what Baseball America has to say about the Pride of the Yankees. This classic is about baseball the way Steel Magnolias was about hairdressers, which is much is made about Gary Cooper starring as Gehrig not really being left-handed. But in this movie, it hardly matters. Viewed today, it's a hopelessly sentimental movie, but it was made in a different age, and it is the best of baseball melodramas. At the end, when Cooper gives the luckiest man on the face of the earth speech, you will shed a tear in spite of yourself. Bonus points for appearances of actual Yankees, including Babe Ruth and Bill Dickey. So that's one of those, like the Jackie Robinson story, or like there are some movies that came out in the 40s and 50s and 60s that weren't great films by any stretch of the imagination. But to me, I think those are important films to watch because they were made in the era that those things were happening. And I'm always curious to see the reverence or lack thereof that is attached to moments like the luckiest man on the face of the earth. But I would, I would want to just see the speech itself, which is documented 
Like, there's, there's Which no we have seen, though. Which, of course, we have seen. I don't need to see Gary Cooper. It's less about the speech. It's more about the lead-up to it, though. It's, it's, yeah, the speech is kind of one of those who cares. It's not the, about... What do you mean? It's not, so, wait, what are you saying? You're saying the Lou Gehrig speech is not something that who cares? In the film, who cares about the speech? Because, as you said, we can see the actual Lou Gehrig. But I am hoping that this film, which neither one of us have seen, would go into a little bit of Gehrig's actual struggle. And that is the one thing that I would be interested to see how that was handled at the time. Well, it sounds like it was handled in a sentimental manner, so... Which, once again, though, I, I'd be once, just curious to see. Look, every movie you watch isn't going to be great. Although, it is number five on this list, which maybe this just invalidates the list, but who knows? Well, we don't know if that list is ranked. We don't it know. is. It says that, that it's ranked? Mainly because my horrible eyesight just saw that there are tiny little numbers next to it. <laughs> All right, well, so, okay. It is ranked. I mean, it's a little... It sounds strange, though, because it... The way that they described it made it seem like they weren't even that crazy about it. It is a movie that I've heard referenced many, many times in several different conversations as being a favorite to an older generation. So once again, it's one of those things that it was a 1942 movie. We got you. You got to take that with a grain of salt. You got to you got to understand where Hollywood is at at that time in the 1940s. Okay. Doesn't matter. There's other things going on in the country that we can understand we're there. That doesn't mean we have to support or endorse it. I'm in no way, shape, or form supporting or endorsing anything. I'm saying I would like to watch it to see if it is good or not. Okay. I'm, I'm holding out judgment. <laughs> All right. So number four on the list. This is a film I believe you and I have talked about before. Released in 1988. About the 1919... Chicago Black Sox scandal, Eight Men Out. I liked that film very much when I saw it, but I did see it a, quite a while ago, and I would be curious to see it again. And uh, I actually just downloaded the the book um, onto my iPad because we, when I was in Cooperstown, we were I was looking at all sorts of baseball books, and that was one of the ones that I was looking at. And I know that that's sort of a famous one, and maybe it, it moved me to actually read some more baseball books and, you know, to have that much more context for history, et cetera, et cetera. So, but it was a very, I think that was film was very well done. John Sayles is a wonderful director and it's a great cast. And it was a, you know, it was a probably, it's probably the most artful of the film or um, probably one of the, it's definitely one of the most artful of the films on the list. Absolutely. As a, as like a piece of cinema. Absolutely. Not even a question. It, it is, it's, uh, it's one of Cusack's, it's one of my favorite Cusack roles, uh, John Cusack roles. It's, it's one of those movies that, that is a movie that I saw when I was a young lad and I had very little knowledge of the, the Black Sox scandal or betting in baseball even. I was, I was pretty young and that was a film that did actually inspire me to not so much go to my library but to talk to any old timers that would listen and to teach me all about the story of Shoeless Joe and to teach me all about just why betting in baseball is wrong and it's, just, it's, it's a really, really fantastic, fantastic movie. You know, we've never really talked about how as a Cubs fan you felt about in 2005 the White Sox were able to break their Black Sox curse. And so pre-2005, did you have any type of, well, they deserve not to, not to win because of the, because of the, the, the they threw a World Series? Was, it, was there that type of, of animosity or, or anger towards? For me, not even a little bit. I don't know. I don't think in those terms. 
No, I was happy for them. I was happy for the city. I was happy. I was happy, with the, and I thought it was really great that it was Red Sox followed by the White Sox. That both those long-suffering, ancient teams were able to go back to back and win uh, World Series. I thought that was really great for them and really great for the game. And uh, it, you know, gave me that much more hope that it's going to happen. So, you know, at some point for the Cubs, I hope again. That is lovely. I like hearing that. Keeping it positive, folks. It's true. I'm not even. I don't. I know. I believe you. I'm not. I'm, I, I. I. I watched that. I watched that series with great interest. The the White Sox. Oh, Astros. AJ. I also was rooting against the Astros anyway because they were in the division at the time. So. <laughs> now you know how I felt about the Kansas City Royals last year. Ah, uh, AJ Pruszynski. That was a. Oh, okay. 1973 is is uh, the the third movie on this list was released in 1973. And I've been noticing a pattern with you, which is that you've seen a lot of these movies when you were younger, and you may need to revisit them. This is a this is now a movie for me that I saw probably when I was a little bit too young, and I would need to revisit. And it's a little movie called Bang the Drum Slowly. Yeah, I've never seen that film. It is a hard watch for a, I must have been eight-year-old, eight, nine-year-old. Let me just read you what, what Baseball America thinks of it. This is the baseball version of Brian's song, which for those of you who don't know Brian's song, Brian's song is a movie about two football players, and it is just, it is a very emotional, it's, it's well known as being basically a movie that can make any grown man cry, no matter how much of a alpha male he believes he is. Brian's song is the one that gets everyone to cry. So similarly, Bang the Drum Slowly is supposedly that for baseball fans. It started a period of great modern baseball movies and is still regarded by many as the best of the bunch. The movie helped launch the careers of Michael Moriarty as the star pitcher and Robert De Niro as the dying catcher. Some prefer the Mark Harris novel or criticize the details of the baseball in the movie, but that is quibbling. It is a truly touching film. So it is a movie about Robert De Niro dying and to an eight-year-old kid, it was a bit heavy and a little light on the baseball and heavy on the I don't understand any of the themes that are being discussed here. So that is a movie that maybe I might need to revisit. Now number two and number one are not going to shock anybody. Number two... You're making, you make these bold statements. Like, th this is not going to shock anybody. Okay. If this shocks you... Tweet us at Clubhouse Pod. Email me at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com. And I will send you a free Bergino bag tag. Actually, no, I'm not going to do that. You're just going to lie to me. This is not going to shock any of you. I'm just confident that this, this is not going to shock you. Number two, feel the dreams. Yeah. But, okay, did you hear that? Yeah. That's the, that's the, that's the but sound. I, mean, I can see them, but I, can, I, I think I know what, I don't know what number one and two are, but... You could, people could probably make the case for either one. No, no, no I'm sorry. What I, what I meant by two and one is not the order of two and one. Okay. I'm saying the number two and number one, meaning like the top one or two are not going to shock anybody. Yes, okay. absolutely. People will flip one and two, one and two. Okay. But these two being number one and number two, isn't going to shock anybody. See, si, claro. All right. But released in 1989, Kevin Costner, Feel the Dreams, If You Build It, They Will Come, James Earl Jones, Amy Madigan, the little girl. I'm forgetting who is the little girl. Oh my goodness, she, oh man, that's gonna kill me. Um, but that just movie was, you know, here, talk a little about Feel the Dreams, and I'm gonna look up who the little girl was. 
Uh, I mean, I saw that movie also when it came out. What year was it? 1989. Yeah, uh, I mean, I was very moved by it at the time. Um, I'm curious if I saw it now if I think it's a little cheese ball, because I think it has it could verge on that. But it's also, you know, allegorical. I like I like when I don't mind when things are allegorical if they if they get emotional when they're sort of like, yeah, allegorical, fantastical. If they wear their heart on their sleeve in a in a truthful, you know, straightforward way, I, that doesn't tend to bother me. Um, so I would be I would be curious to see if it if I feel it has you know and and also if things that are emotional or sort of tough-minded in their in their honesty about the various things that they're talking about. So I'd be curious to see that as an adult or more of an adult if I feel that way. But yeah, I mean, at the time it was very moving and beautifully, it felt beautifully acted and beautifully shot and, and all the things. Pretty well said. And the little girl was Gabby Hoffman. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, loved her in uh, Veronica Mars. She did a, a quick little thing, which that's a, I, I, I love that show. Number one. Everybody knows. Bull Durham. I, I guessed that. I didn't read it. Yeah, Bull Durham. Of course he guessed it. Of course he guessed it. Bull Durham, the, in my opinion, perfect movie. Period. And the reason I say that, and I'm sure that there are filmmaking mistakes in there. I'm sure that there are this, then, I'm not talking about, uh, technically speaking. I'm talking about a movie for men, women, old, young. It does not matter. It has something for everybody in it. It was a movie that it wasn't until, I'd say I was 19, 20, and I'd already seen it at least 30 or 40 times, that I was dating this girl and... She was watching this movie with me. Did you just say you saw it 30 or 40 times? I've seen it a lot more than that. I've probably seen Bull Durham 60 plus times and in my life. when you say you've seen it. Beginning to end, sitting and watching it. sat and watched it beginning to end. Not even a question. 60 times. I'm, and that might be a low number. I'm not sure. I, I, I love that movie. I understand. I'm just thinking of I've never seen any film beginning to end, sitting through it more than... Four times? So one of the things Five I times? one of the things that I used to do, and I actually did this with this film, and coincidentally with another film, Full Metal Jacket, which has nothing to do with baseball, but I did the same thing with it, was I would ask people, "Hey, have you seen Bull Durham?" And if they said no, I would say, "Come on over. We're gonna go ahead and watch Bull Durham together." And I basically was spreading the gospel of Bull Durham. So many of those me watching it was not just me sitting alone watching yeah, it by regardless, myself. Regardless, regardless, it is me with basically introducing it to a group of people. I really, really love that movie. I understand. I'm just surprised. Like, I've never... The only thing I could say I've done more than, like, that amount or that amount of times or more would be listen to certain songs. You know what I mean? It's just an interesting difference of experiencing a piece of art multiple times, many, many, many times over. Well, so for me, like I said, there is a big part of it that... I do really enjoy sharing art with other people or sharing my interests with other people. Like, it makes me, as much as I love going to ball games by myself, like, I do love going to ball games by myself, I really love bringing other people to ball games just so that, and what I mean by that is people who don't enjoy baseball, because I like being able to introduce people to new things. And so if you've never seen Bull Durham, even if I've seen it a hundred times, me watching it with you is a unique experience for the first time. 
I may have seen the movie, but I have not seen the movie with you sitting next to me. I have not been able to answer any questions you have or watch you react to the movie at certain scenes that I really like or laugh at scenes that I like and be able to see how this piece of art has affected someone else. You know, if it's affected me so profoundly, it's cool to see that it can affect other people as well. That's cool, yeah. And so, uh, but what I was saying is why I believe that it's a perfect movie is that it wasn't until I was in my uh, late teens, early 20s that I was watching it with a, a girlfriend of mine who had never seen the film. She was not a baseball fan. And about two-thirds of the way into it, she pauses it and looks at me, and she's like, well, you know there's a chick flick, right? You love a chick flick? Like, she kept on telling it to me. And I was, you know, I, I, I kind of was taken aback. I was like, no, it's a baseball movie. What are you talking about the chick flick? It's a baseball movie. She said, no, it's a love triangle. Like, this, this, is, this is a chick flick. This is a romantic comedy. And I, she was right. I mean, it is a romantic comedy. I, I, I don't like using the term chick flick, but I think romantic comedy is a, a way that one would describe that film. Here's why I don't like using the term chick flick. It makes me think of Chick-fil-A. All right, now, all right, tangent boy, don't don't get mad at me for that. That was that was kind of a weird out of left field reference, but uh, that was a political it, reference. It was, it was. But <laughs> so, I've actually never eaten a Chick Fil A in my life, not because of political reasons. Well I've done. Just never done it, but now for political reasons. Um. So <laughs> you just completely. No, but you, uh, we got the point. Though, I we guess. get the yes, point. Yes. So so yeah. So it is it is the perfect absolute movie. If you have not seen. Bull Durham, um, do yourself a favor and watch it. Otherwise, I'm gonna end up flying to your town and watching it with you. That that's the threat because I really do want to oh, spread. Golly, <laughs> I want to spread the gospel of Bull Durham of Crash. Crash is gonna teach you everything you need to know about being a big leaguer. That's the beauty of it. Oh, you know what? I may watch. I may rewatch Bull Durham again this week. I think I'm probably going to. Um, I'll do that with you. We should absolutely do that. You know what? When we're back in New York, we will absolutely do that. We need to do a uh, baseball mini-movie marathon with you and I and Michael, actually. I think that would be really fun to get a, a two baseball nerds and a non-baseball nerd, a baseball appreciator who appreciates baseball but may not necessarily be as obsessive as you and I are. I think it'd be cool to get that perspective. So when we can fit it into our, our schedule here of traveling the country, when we can get some time to actually sit down and watch some films, there's, there's several movies that we need to, need to watch. I mean, you've never seen 61, I don't believe? Never saw 61. 61 is a, you know, uh, it made a non-Yankee fan, who I am a non-Yankee fan, it made a non-Yankee fan love and respect the Yankees during the period that I watched that film. Like, Billy Crystal did just an amazing job. If you talk about just pure baseball, so forget about movie, you know, Bull Durham's the best movie for men, women, uh, old, young, gay, straight, doesn't matter. 61, to me, is the perfect pure baseball movie because Billy Crystal has so much respect for the game and he loves the game so, so much that the amount of detail. So, you know, you talk about in Field of Dreams that they had uh, uh, Shoeless Joe batting uh, right-handed. You talk about Pride of the Yankees, it looks like they did the same thing with Gehrig. Some of these films kind of skimp on the, the details. 61 
the lockers, if you look at the lockers in the clubhouse of Yankee Stadium, the exact products used in the 1961 locker room are in that locker room. Thomas Jane knocks it out of the park as Mickey Mantle. Did you just say knock it, knocks it out of the park? I absolutely did. That's woeful. Barry Pepper crushes his performance. Oh, boy. <laughs> no, Barry Pepper is actually amazing as Maris. I mean, the... the These he, guys are good actors. Of course they are. I'm just saying the, 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 the use of that phrase... Oh, I, I, I know, I got it. I, I'm ignoring the fact that you're, you're making fun of me and, and trying to keep it positive here. And it's, you know, it's just, honestly, 61 is, there was a time actually that I was proselytizing for 61 as well. And I, I forced several of my friends to sit down and watch that. But what I realized with that one is that one may not have as much cross appeal for non-baseball fans. It's a great story. And I do think that non-baseball fans would enjoy it. But it's not like Bull Durham where it's, it's, it's got the appeal for, for everybody. You do kind of need to be a bit of a baseball nerd to fully appreciate just what, what they put Maris through, what they put that, that sweet man through, uh, you know, just for beating the Babes record. Uh, but there's also, the, we, we, we just, you got to see Cobb, um, which is, you know, not a great movie, but... Tommy Lee Jones as Ty Cobb is sublime. He is fantastic. It's, it's you know, a really great performance. I mean, some other films that I don't believe you've seen. I mean, once again, this is a generational thing, but, you know, Rookie of the Year, Little Big League. You've not seen those, correct? I've not seen them. You know, those are, once again, movies that were in my wheelhouse as, as a kid. You know, Rookie of the Year, you're fantasizing about you know, breaking your arm and all of a sudden being able to throw a 90-mile-per-hour fastball and pitching for the Chicago Cubs and taking them to a World Series. That's, yeah, as a kid, that, that's the best kind of wish fulfillment you can have. Little Big League, you know, that actually had, like, Ken Griffey Jr. and Randy Johnson and had big league players in it. And it's about a 12-year-old kid who gets to own the Minnesota Twins. So, once again, as a kid, that's, that's a pretty good wish fulfillment. But I'd imagine as a grown man, it might not be as entertaining to watch. Those are movies that I have not seen since I was a little kid. Maybe I'll have you watch them again on your own, and if you like them again, maybe I'd watch them, but I'm not really interested otherwise. Yeah, you know what? That's actually, I, I might do that. I, I might give some of those a watch. Rookie of the Year is one that I really loved when I was a kid. So yeah, so there are, I mean, baseball movies, there are a lot of them. I mean, more recently, did you see Moneyball? No. Moneyball, I think, was a movie that my mom and I actually watched together. My mom and I watched that movie together, and my mother is not a baseball fan. She's gone to games with me, and she always says that she likes watching me like watch the game. Uh, but she really loved Moneyball. Um, I mean, it's very different from the book. They focus a little bit on on Bean's family and and daughter, which you know is great, but. For me, it was just cool to be able to watch a movie that I remember that that 20-game winning streak. I remember watching that 20-game winning streak. I remember trading Carlos Pena. I remember the moments that are represented in that movie. And so it was kind of a cool little thing to watch it fictionalized to see, once again, how they handled it. Um, I did not see Trouble with the Curve. Did you see that? No. I did not see Million Dollar Arm. Did you see that? No. You know... I've been told that I'm a bit of a snob when it comes to baseball movies, and I, 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 may, I may agree with that because I do hold baseball movies up to a pretty high standard. I, I think well, I hold all movies up to a high standard, so I don't like to watch things that aren't, you know, really, really good movies. 
regardless sure. of the subject. But luckily, we, you know, have had, we've been lucky enough to have a lot of really, really great baseball movies. So I think that's going to wrap up our, our baseball movie talk for now. Uh, we are about 10 minutes outside of Cleveland. I am very, very, very excited to go to Progressive Field, actually. This is, I remember when I, when I came around my tour, after it was done, I called a buddy of mine, uh, actually Jorah. You all know him as the gentleman who uh, designed our awesome Clubhouse podcast logo. And I, I called him as I was on my way out of the city saying, dude, I got to, when this, when this trip is over, I got to come back to Progressive Field because it's a, it's a really nice park. They've done a really nice job there. So I'm excited to see the Cleveland Indians as we are recording this. They're cl- currently heating up and playing much better baseball. And so hopefully it'll be a good crowd. It's going to be on Memorial Day. So it's going to be fun. We'll see you next time here in the clubhouse. The home base for the Clubhouse podcast is the Brigino Baseball Clubhouse, located on 67 East 11th Street in New York City. This is, without a doubt, my favorite baseball spot in the country. From the baseball-inspired artwork on the walls to the one-of-a-kind memorabilia for sale and the amazing baseball fans that are always just hanging out on the bleachers inside the store, this place is just the best. If you can't make it into Brigino's in person, I get it. So just do me a favor and please visit Brigino.com. That's B-E-R-G-I-N-O.com. And pick up a gift for your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your casual acquaintance, or even just yourself. If you can make it in, please mention the podcast and you'll get a free bag tag with any purchase. The Clubhouse is produced by Zach McNeese. The website and logo were designed by Ronan Jora. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review and a comment. That just makes it easier for people to find our podcast. Follow the show on Twitter at ClubhousePod. You can follow Anthony and I individually at FoundingThirdMJ for me and at AlbinoKid for Anthony. For guest ideas, baseball stories, or just to say hello, shoot us an email at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com. To learn more about the specific baseball moments we discussed on the show, pictures, and more, please visit us at clubhousepodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome week.